Good evening, everybody. Welcome to uh, Emmaus Way here in downtown Durham. Uh, very happy to be back here. My name is Tim Carlson. I'm here with my wife, Olivia Casey Toll, and Contrabass and Dale Baker's back in the drum chair. So um, we'd like to start off today with a, a composition from Dale Williams called uh, When I Was a Boy. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Hello everyone, welcome to Emmaus Way. So glad to see so many of you with us tonight. Um, before we uh, go any further, I want to go ahead and turn uh, the program over to our, uh, the people seated behind me for our community prayer. This is an opportunity each week for our children to lead us in an element of our liturgy, to uh, sort of speak into and contribute to our community. And this is especially significant tonight um, since we're going to be talking a lot about what does it mean to be a Christian community that includes children? So uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to them. So please sing along. This is the doxology. Praise to God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. said, welcome to Emmaus Way. Uh, for those of you who are uh, joining us maybe for the first or second time, uh, Emmaus Way is a community of people who have been captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ and are looking for ways to live into the work that God is doing here in our community of Durham and in the surrounding community. Um, there's a variety of different ways to sort of get in touch with us during the week. Um, one, you can uh, join a home group. We have a variety of home groups that meet throughout the Triangle uh, during the week. We also have a pub group that meets down at Bull McCabe's on Thursday nights. Um, and we have, uh, we have a variety of sort of other teams that are involved in coordinating elements during the week. All of that information you can find on uh, a card that's sort of greenish-yellow that's out there on the table. Um, there's also a yellow card if you're interested in getting in touch with someone on staff or someone from a welcome team. We'd be happy to get together and have coffee and uh, talk about Emmaus Way. Um, in terms of announcements, uh, one announcement that I want to make sure to make is next week, uh, those of you who have been with us over the summer know that we've been doing a sort of gospel according to um, series. And so next week is going to be a special evening in which we're going to have a lot of musicians. So I'll let Mark say a little bit more about that. It's, so uh, next week is the Gospel According to Bruce Springsteen. So we're going to have quite a few musicians in with us. Not exactly an East Street band, kind of. Le, Le Mans Street. Yeah, the Le Mans Street <laughs> band. Mark Williams and the Le Mans Street band. Something like that. But it should be fun, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so uh, that'll be next week. And then I think, believe it or not, we'll just have one more week after that that'll be a part of this series. Um, and then the... Uh, uh, a new series uh, will begin sort of about our identity here at Emmaus Way and sort of who we are as a community, um, which regrettably will transition us back into the fall and uh, the semester for so many of us who live on that semester calendar. Are there any other announcements that I'm missing? Oh, one other thing that I will mention, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and again, this is still a ways out, but the first weekend in November... We're going to resurrect a, uh, what had been an Emmaus Way tradition for many years. We haven't done it in the last year or two. Um, but of in soliciting community voices to tell stories uh, on All Saints Sunday. Um, this is something, like I said, we did for many years where we sort of turn the center of the space over to um, people from the community to, to, to speak into 
either with a rant or a sermon or something that you wish you could have given um, and maybe haven't had the opportunity to do. So there will be more details about that evening coming soon, but if you have something that you're thinking about um, that you might like to share, go ahead and be uh, planning it out. Josh, I think just a quick on that. We're looking probably, it'll probably be about eight people, and the way we're going to do it is everybody will have, um, it's going to be in a form that fits in six minutes and 40 seconds. So uh, it'll be nice. It'll be very divergent in terms of what people talk about. And if you're interested in that, because some of you definitely, it's a soapbox night, and it's a, it's, and it's a community preach soapbox night. And so uh, we'll talk more about that, but it's going to be really fun. Yeah, and these need not be um, these need not be tightly prescribed topics. They don't need to relate to church or your spiritual or religious experiences or those sorts of things. Um, and, and what's often neat in these sorts of uh, events, you'll hear them sometimes called picha kucha nights. Um, but when when this happens. Uh, it doesn't matter, actually, that none of the talks are coordinated. You'll end up seeing interesting resonances come out uh, simply by putting them next to each other. So if there's anything that you would like to talk about, if you want to talk about how, why you love to go fishing or what you find meaningful in a particular author or um, yeah, how to change the oil in your car, I would love to see that one. I don't know how to do that. So, um, Anyway, be thinking about something that you're passionate about that you might want to share with the community. Okay, is that it? Any other announcements? Cool, I'm going to turn it back over to Tim and Olivia and the band um, for our song of preparation. Thanks, Josh. So, um, if you're unaware or unfamiliar with this next song, the song called Speaking with the Angels, which was written by uh, Ron Setsmith, who's a Canadian uh, singer-songwriter. This was from his first album, uh, the self-titled album that came out on Interscope in, I believe, 1995. So done with Mitchell Froome, and it's, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's got some really lovely songs on it, and uh, he's continued to make uh, music since then. I, I think he maybe has about 12 other albums.
So hi everybody, I know it's the, the ticking noise of the semester can be well heard, so I know a lot of you are in a crazy week of transition, probably some of you have just moved into a place and you're trying to get that right, uh, uh, probably bracing yourself for, uh, for uh, back to reading, writing papers and being uh, kind of a... Uh, at the mercy of people who are constructing your life academically. So I know a lot of you are in that mode. I, this was my first week back on campus. Josh and I were, uh, we spent 40 lovely hours uh, being trained uh, for Josh once again to work in the Writing Center at UNC. So we have been, and, and it's been funny to watch the campus just change in those five days. So your thoughts or prayers with all of you, and I know there's many of you who teach school and are doing things that are deeply missional that are on the academic calendar as well. So so you are being thought of, and we know this is a kind of a, a week of crazy transition. I think public school kids here hit back to school maybe in about eight or nine days. So for some, there's still another week or two of summer left, but uh, we're definitely in that, that gray zone between uh, what was the summer and, uh, and now the school year approaching. So good luck to all of you who are who are heading into another another semester of teaching. I know some of that we have, and here we got, you know, we got Brandon over there probably thinking up of evil syllabuses to destroy UNC undergrads. And, I'm afraid to leave. <laughs> now that's right. You're just, you're just chilling out, having babies, and uh, <laughs> writing papers. Uh, 
Sort of. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, by the way, congrats, Brandon. And so, uh, yeah, so we're all kind of in this big academic world together. So, anyway. Hey, um, also, before we uh, pass the piece, wanted to uh, just share a prayer uh, in terms of the happenings in, in Ferguson, uh, Missouri. One of the um, unique vantage points I have, I think one of the most greatest privileges I've had um, academically, academically the last three or four years is to be in a, a cultural studies program uh, where it's somewhat of an anomaly to be white and to study issues like race and uh, critical whiteness, critical race theory around uh, people who are going to be future scholars and, and many of them scholars of color and uh, it has really uh, um, transformed some things that I might have already known but intensified them but opened my eyes in many ways to uh, how race is often the fulcrum that uh, organizes the culture that we live in and we know that we kind of sit here in an academic community and a fairly culturally affluent privileged place for many of us and and it's it's very challenging to consider uh, what it is to live uh, when you are under suspicion for, for merely living and I, the pub group's been doing some great conversations on this I would encourage you to follow what has been published on that reading along but I have a prayer uh, we've used this prayer book many times it's called Conversations with God it's a, it's a compendium of um, African American prayer um, and I wanted to choose a prayer from an era that the author calls the Veil of Tears, and this is really uh, between about 1880 and 1920 in our, our history, and it's a, a time when the, 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 the emancipation uh, of the Civil War is, uh, has worn really thin, and America is very powerfully restructuring itself as, uh, as, a, as a racist uh, uh, country and uh, things like Jim Crow are really uh, taking hold. Uh, uh, the KKK is being birthed and, and developing uh, uh, new ranks. And this is a prayer called Stand By Me. Let me just see if I can find that and I'll read that. We can pray together on this. Thanks to SK who helped me uh, pick this prayer out. This is from 1905 uh, by Charles Albert Tinley. But one of the things that I wanted, reason we picked this era is to understand how deeply relevant this prayer would be. And it could have been written uh, yesterday by someone else. And it gives a sense of, of the ongoing struggle that we're all in. Let's pray together. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the host of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I can do the best I can and my friends misunderstand, thou knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in battle array undertake to stop my way, thou who saved Paul and Silas, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, Stand by me. When my life becomes a burden, 
and I'm nearing chilly Jordan. O thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Amen. Thank you. So this is typically our time to just let you stand and offer each other the peace of Christ. If you're standing by somebody that you don't know, please introduce yourself. This is a, a time of year. If you're new, uh, there's really not many people here who would be qualified as old. Uh, we're in a community that uh, has a great deal of transition uh, uh, each year. So uh, this is a, a special time for Emmaus Way because our community changes every year, particularly around August, September, and October as new people come to this community. And as you'll, if you're around, you'll pick up really quickly. We do a, a dialogue style of, 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 uh, of worship together, which means that every new person in this community changes it somewhat, changes the voice, changes the trajectory, and for all of us, it's a time of discovery and surprise and grace. So please stand up, greet each other, offer each other a piece of Christ. It's a great time to get coffee and some snacks, and I'll call us back in a couple moments. If you didn't get a chance to grab coffee or a snack, please feel free to keep doing that as we uh, kind of reassemble ourselves. So this summer, we have been doing, um, a, a, this has been a fun series. I, I, we've heard some, some great folks, uh, uh, the gospel according to, and we've taken each week a different lens and use that lens as an opportunity to, uh, to look at the gospel in a way that maybe we perhaps wouldn't look at it. And we've done all sorts of things. Uh, uh, Josh led us, I think, a couple weeks ago in uh, Louis C.K. And uh, we did, uh, Josh, give us the list again of stuff we've done this summer. It's always fun. Carl Marx. Carl Marx, that was me. Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Louis C.K., Nick Lowe, um, Community Organizing. And The Wire. And so it's been a it's been a range of film, print, uh, writers, a whole range of things. It's been well chosen by Josh and others. So this has been fun. Um, tonight we're doing the gospel according to children, and I want to remind us that one of the things that's been a premise for us has been this idea that that the Bible doesn't function like a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, you know, the jigsaw puzzle is flat. And if it says a thousand pieces, uh, then there's well in our house there's always like 998. We we always lose a couple of pieces, but every piece is as significant as the other 999 because until you put them all in, you don't have a complete puzzle. But reading the the biblical text is a little different from that in that uh, they're not only different genres and different histories, but there's certain points that stand out more prominently, and we use those to read the more difficult parts of the text. And, and prejudicially, I've said for me, and, and I think it's an accurate description for our community, is that we've been very gospel-ocentric, that the, the presence of Christ in the world has been a, a critical lens for us in reading the other components of the scriptures, understanding what the church has done, how it's failed, how it's succeeded, uh, what our hopes and what our missions are. And so uh, tonight we're going to Again, uh, look at that standing outness of the gospel through the lens of children, uh, which is exciting for us. We, uh, as uh, when Emmaus Way began, one of the things that was significant to us was to really imagine how we would be a community that had children that might be interesting, uh, dynamic, uh, an opportunity to learn from kids, and perhaps really uh, uh, have a, a much stronger sense of shared responsibility in, in caring for our kids. So there are going to be lots of folks and lots of voices tonight that are going to guide us through this. But tonight we're going to start with Hannah.
Amber, who was right here. Um, and, and Amber is an amazing. She's, uh, I think, how long have you been on our kind of our children's leadership team? About a half year or so? And she really is doing primarily the administrative and the leadership type of stuff. And so she's going to share a little bit about that. But I, I think you're also going to lead us in an exercise that kind of shapes the, the things that the kids do. Elizabeth's going to. Oh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Okay, that sounds great. So, Amber, uh, uh, I'll give it to you. Hey, so I'm Amber McCarthy. I am on the children's ministry team. I wasn't sure why at first, but I'm enjoying it now. So um, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about our children's ministry because before I started volunteering back there, I was like, I don't know what they do. So we have three different classrooms. One is like zero to two-ish years old, and they just get loved on by our teacher and our volunteer. We don't have like a set schedule for them but they just get to play and like be loved by our adults and then we also have like a three to five-ish year old class which is our preschool class and an elementary school age class which is like halfway through kindergarten and older and those two classes mainly follow kind of the setup of like you guys see them they join us out here and do a great job with that and then they head back and they have some play time and then they have like a structured lesson where they're reading the bible and they're asked open-ended questions like I wonder what you think about this thing, which we're going to get to experience more later tonight. Um, but it's really a chance for them to like share what they think about the scripture and for us to hear what they have to say, which is often like really interesting and quite surprising. And then we have some kind of like artistic response or creative response to the lesson, whether it's like acting or drawing or painting or just some way for them to like respond to what they have heard. And then they have snack time, which is important. And then they come back out here and grace us with their presence for communion, as you guys know. So that's just kind of like what we do with our kids. If you are interested in volunteering, please talk to me. We always have room for more volunteers, especially as we have people having babies who will probably need to be off of our rotation for a little bit. Um, but just so you guys know, like I started volunteering with the kids like five years ago now. And the only reason I did it is because they desperately needed people. And I was like, well, I'm a person. I can be back there. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm actually afraid of small children. But... Maybe it's going like, to help me conquer my fear, and actually I am a nanny now, so like, a lot of it has been from like being back there and realizing, I don't suck, I can do this, like, alright, this is great. So I just would really encourage any of you who are like, maybe interested in interacting with kids a little more to consider volunteering with them, because I just have been so blessed by a lot of kids in our community, and it's so cool to see, like, even Nathan will just like give me the biggest smile when I walk up to him and he sees me, so like, there's just a lot that we can learn from them, and like, a lot of joy that they bring to our lives. So I've been very thankful for my experience with them. I would encourage any of you guys to join in as well. And thank you to those of you who do. But so like I said, we ask them questions like, I wonder what you think about blank. So Elizabeth is going to tell you more about this. So we're going to do an experiment tonight. We, you know, in your bulletin, you have those texts that we're going to read as we always have they are reading the same text in, in the kids' rooms as we are trying to do more and more often, have them interacting with the same text that we're interacting with. And so, as Amber said, sometimes in the midst of the story and always after the story, we ask these I wonder questions to the kids. So, I'm, we're going to read the text together, and I'm going to ask you the same I wonder questions that the teachers in the back are asking kids, and we'll, you know, have our dialogue around the sex, and then at the end, when the kids come back, we are going to hear from 
these island oppressions. And who knows? But um, so um, there are folks out here. Initially, I'm going to have you respond, like think, and if you if it's helpful to you, write on an index card like your response to the island oppressions, and then we'll obviously all talk together. But somebody's out there. Can you pass out the index cards and pens? And um, Jordan's going to read the text. Time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child, whom he put among them, and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child, my name welcomes me. The little children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. So feel free to keep writing on those. We're not going to close that off at any uh, any immediate moment. Um, 
Tonight also is before we step into um, Matthew 18 and 19, um, Sarah Fox is going to uh, share a story for us. And one of the things I wanted to remind you of this is that, um, um, and many of you have done this, is that we love storytelling as a part of our worship gathering. So when you have a story that you think needs to be told, when you, uh, when as, and often we'll be going through something and you'll have something that relates, never hesitate to grab me or Josh and say, hey, I've got a story that needs to be told. Sarah initiated this and we were delighted uh, for her to do this. And Sarah, you've done this two or three times over the last eight or nine years and just had something to share that was significant. And one of the things about storytelling for us that's significant as well is that there's sometimes this pressure to craft a story that's complete. I'm looking back on the time where I once faced fear, but no longer do I have, you know, I mean, that, that's the kind of story that sometimes we're used to hearing in, in church settings. But in reality, most of us are a mess. We're, we're kind of working through one thing and we're figuring out something and something else is on the horizon. And it, it's, it's why we gather as a community around the table and around the text because none of us could figure it out alone. Uh, we need to hear each other's voices. We depend on each other. And as we were preparing for talking about uh, the gospel according to children, uh, we all have such different positions related to children. We were all children in, in one sense. But, but that meant something really different, I'm sure, in your family than it meant in my family. Uh, and, uh, and so our experiences as growing up as children are, are different. And in communities like ours, uh, especially in the world that we live in, it's, uh, we face all kinds of decisions, especially this kind of youngish community that we have in terms of uh, for people who want to be parents. Will you be parents? Is it is what you're called to do? Is it, is it possible? All those things. And Sarah has a story that we're just excited to hear from and kind of their, uh, their own journey in this realm. So Sarah, we'll give you the mic. It's funny because as Tim said, I have shared before, I think the last time I shared was in 2008. If anyone was here, they'll remember I talked about sexuality. And tonight, I feel so much more nervous than I did then. <laughs> I brought my tissues in case I start to cry. Um, but I think what I'm talking about tonight somehow just feels so incredibly vulnerable to me. It just feels like when you have something wrong with the tooth and it kind of like you're going along, you're fine, and you can chew and chew and chew, but then all of a sudden something hits that nerve, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you feel like you have to scream or jump up or, I don't know, do something. So that's kind of, I think, why I'm nervous. And it's even funny, if anyone knows me, I'm a teacher, and so I'm like up in front of people for a living, and so that usually doesn't bother me, but anyway. Um, so as Tim kind of said, this isn't a story about happy endings. I'm a huge fan of happy endings, but that's not what this story is tonight. Um, this is a story about being in the midst of something. This is about kind of living in that awkward Saturday between Good Friday and the Sunday Resurrection where you know that like everything is made right. So this is the Saturday before that everything is made right. Um, and this is also a story about binding and loosing. We've talked a lot at Amaze Way about binding and loosing and I'm going to talk some about that tonight. But last year and also this year at Emmaus Way, we did body series. And there was kind of one thing on my mind the whole time that we talked about these body series. And those were actually my own physical body. Because Brett and I have been trying for over a year to try and get pregnant. And we've been unsuccessful in that. Um, and I know that we're definitely not the first people at Emmaus Way to experience difficulties with fertility. Um, but I just feel like it's something that's not 
talked about enough, and so I wanted to kind of open that up as something that we talk about. Um, it's been a process that's been very disappointing, to say the least, and continually disappointing. It's been depressing, it's been heartbreaking, um, it's been exceedingly unfair, um, it's been costly, it's been tiring, and sometimes, honestly, it's been an incredible amount of work. I can promise you that the best form of foreplay is not waking up your spouse at 6.30 in the morning before you go to work to say, I'm ovulating today, so now's the time. <laughs> Don't recommend that. Um, and for us, our parents didn't have any trouble getting pregnant at all, and so we just wrongly assumed, like, oh, this is gonna be easy, first time, no big deal. Um, for me also, as a woman, this has been a particularly kind of hitting home experience. It's just a lot more body intensive for women. Um, Brett's not the one peeing on a bunch of sticks to figure out how, when we should time our sex. He's not the one who has to go to most of the doctor's appointments. He's not the one tracking cycles, trying to avoid caffeine. He's not the one who's taken over 450 prenatal vitamins, not all at once. <laughs> and for me, fertility issues, like this is kind of attacking me at a very vulnerable place of like, what does it mean to be a woman? Um, some of you who know me or who read, I think it was Tim's first book, might know about my mom and how she is very excited about being a woman and she celebrates being a woman. And overzealously, when I got my period, made me a really inappropriate cake. <laughs> don't know the full story I will be happy to tell you about it later it's ridiculous but so growing up in her household too when my mom was pregnant with me and also for my sister and my brother she was sick the entire nine months like throwing up the entire nine months and yet the narrative that she always told was that it was so great it was such a privilege to be able to feel us inside her kicking or moving or whatever and so I looked forward to that because I just thought this is what being a woman is about and if we're not able to get pregnant, then that means I'm going to have to mourn that. That will be a huge loss for me. Um, and it also is kind of tricky then, too, for me just to think, wow, if my body can't do the one thing that female bodies are supposed to do that are different from male bodies, like, what does that mean about being a woman? And it would have just been a heck of a lot easier if we could have gotten pregnant and moved on. And I wouldn't have had to think all about this. But this has really kind of brought me back to, oh my gosh, who does God say I am? And you don't get retrained in that. You know, we all have these perceptions of who we are. But kind of trying to retrain yourself and redefine yourself as who God says that you are, that's a lot of work. It's really intense, and it's really draining. And so that's been another piece that's just been um, an unexpected, emotional, maybe burden during this time. Um, certain situations, too, have been incredibly hard. Like, it was so disappointing. I don't know how many of you noticed, but I sure noticed that Easter this year, we had six pregnant women in this room. Six? Look how many people are in this room! <laughs> and I wasn't one of them. And so this day, again, like, this very, this day that's supposed to be, like, new life and resurrection was, like, the opposite of new life for me. And I almost had to leave. Um... And let me take this time, too, to say, like, if you are pregnant, 
if you just had a baby, like we are definitely excited for you. Please don't feel like you have to avoid us. Like we, I loose you from feeling like that. Please don't think that we don't want to hear about, we don't want to meet your kids because we do. Please don't think that we don't want to hear about your experience being pregnant because we do. Like I had a lot of practice when I was single for a lot of years and didn't want to be single, still being happy for people who got married. So I come with a lot of experience on like, Holding what I don't have and still being excited for you. So please know it's okay. I lose you from feeling guilty or from avoiding us or any of that. Um, and I think, too, another reason why I wanted to be up here is because I wanted to do some of the modeling. I wanted to, you know, like I said, I'm a teacher, and one of the best things you can do to teach is modeling. And so I wanted to model this idea of you don't have to have everything all together before you share your story. It doesn't have to be the happy ending before you ask community to come around you and be with you in it. So part of that is me asking you tonight, like, please pray for us. Please pray that God would bless us with a child and, you know, we want to have more than one in the future, so children. Um, and also, I mean, there are a number of people that we have shared this, this process with that have just been incredible. For example, our small group has been wonderful. This is a shameless plug for getting involved with small group. But they have been so wonderful to us, and they have just asked us about this process. They followed up with us about it. Um, they said, how is this going? How are you doing? You know, it sounds like this has been really terrible, like this undercurrent of difficulty in your life. So we've been really grateful for our small group. Um, also, Wendy and Andrew have purposely invited us over to their house more than once just to pray for us specifically about this. And that's just an incredible gift. Um, our faith team, too, there are people, when we share this with our faith team, people that came up to us and were like, what can we do for you? Like, how can we care for you? And that was just, that was just really a blessing to us. Even when we didn't really know, it was just nice that someone would even offer and say, I'm not sure what to do for you, but I want to do something. What can I do? So those were wonderful responses that we had. So even if you come into contact with someone who's going through a struggle, those are great things to do. Follow up with them about it. Even if you don't know, ask them what you can do. Pray for them. Um, and there are also some responses that have not been that helpful. For example, the, I heard your problem, but let me tell you about mine, which I'm sure you've all experienced before, where, you know, you just share this, like, very weighty, very life-difficult thing, and the other person's like, you know what? They got my sandwich wrong at the store the other day. I was so angry. Can you believe that? You're thinking to yourself, did you just hear what I said? I'm sorry about the sandwich, but really? Like, you're not going to at least acknowledge the difficulty that I, of the thing I just told you? Um, another not so helpful response is that, don't worry, I can fix it. So I've had this before. People are like, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried this? And I'm like, I don't need you to be my doctor. Like, we're going to plenty of doctors. I need you just to acknowledge, this shouldn't have to be this way, and I'm hurt with you, and I'm very sorry that it's this way. And then um, another unhelpful response is the mission impossible, like where the thing explodes, and it's like this conversation never happened. I've actually had this, um, I've had all three of these responses for people that I'm really close with and people that aren't usually weird like that. And so it's like, just no response, like no verbal response, no anything, and also like never mentioning it again. And I've actually had to tell people like, hey, you know what, actually, it would be really helpful if you would just kind of ask me about this once in a while. Um, and 
I think, too, this is one of those situations where you're never going to remind me of it, right? There's never, like, a time when I wasn't thinking about it, and you bring it up, and then I'm like, oh, no, I'm so depressed. Like, I definitely think about this more than anybody in the entire world for myself. So you're never going to, you never have to feel bad that they weren't bringing it up. And maybe for you, maybe you're not struggling with fertility issues in your life. Maybe you're struggling with something else. Maybe it's having kids, but really resenting them. Maybe it's having some kind of continually unfulfilled, deep longing or desire in your life. Maybe you're waiting for something that seems like it's never going to come. Maybe you feel insecure or vulnerable or shameful about something that's burdening you. Whatever type of struggle you're having or maybe you'll have in the future, I want to let you know that you can share about it and share about it with people in the midst of it. Not just when it's over and when it's taken care of, but in the midst of it. I want you to be loosed to share your hardships with people in the midst of them. Share it with your small group and let them walk with you in it. I ask you to bind yourself to people who can care for you and offer them that privilege of walking alongside of you in the midst of the difficulty. And if someone comes to you with a struggle and you don't know what to do, that's okay. You can just listen to them. You can acknowledge the pain in their struggle. You can pray for them. And you can follow up with them just so that they know you were thinking about them. You don't have to fix people's struggles, and you don't have to ignore them. Just be with them in the midst of it. Um, on Mother's Day this year, Brett gave me this great card that says, so excited for you, Mom, to be. And this wasn't like a cruel kind of like, ha-ha, you're not pregnant. But this was more of like a hopeful looking towards the future. And one of the things he wrote, besides, interestingly, I love you and I can't wait to have your babies, we decided I would be the one teaching our kids science. <laughs> one thing that Brett said is we are in the almost, and we are in the almost and the not yet. So as you live in that not yet, just remember that God binds himself to you in that not yet position. He holds us as we're in the pain of the not yet. And so be, even if it doesn't feel super encouraging, like at least be in that and hopefully you will be able to be encouraged in that in the midst of the difficulty and struggle. So that's all. Thanks. Sarah, we're going to step for one second. I wanted to pray for Sarah, and I'm happy to do this, but if someone from the community wanted to come and just speak uh, the prayer for us, I wanted to give you that opportunity. Would somebody like to, to be our, our prayer tonight? I'm happy to do it. But... Oh, sure, Laura, that would be fantastic. I wasn't supposed to be a part of this, so. <laughs> Dear God, thank you so much for Brett and Sarah and everything that they bring to this community, including their willingness to be vulnerable and to share with us, um, even in the midst of when it is still tough, um, when they're still hurting. 
and being willing to share that with us. And um, I ask you to be with them through all of this. Um, thank you for the example they are to us. Um, help them to continue to be willing to share even when it hurts. But uh, uh, Lord, I ask that um, be with us to um, help us to come alongside them, help us to bear the burden with them so it doesn't hurt as much. Um, help us to remember to, to ask, how can we help? How is it going? Um, just be there in any way that we can. And Lord, we ask for babies. <laughs> I want to be an aunt. <laughs> so bad. Um, and these two really want to be parents, and I know they will be wonderful parents that will teach their children about you, teach their children how to love you well and how to love other people well, and we want that for you. Um, so please um, grant them their heart's desire and help us to come alongside them, and thank you for the example that they have set for us. In your name we pray. So um, I think one of the things I was thinking is we have been really gifted here over, I guess, nine years together, ten years together, I don't know how, long, how old we are as a community, but we've had so many powerful stories. In fact, this summer, you could lift a podcast of just stories that have been told uh, that have been phenomenal uh, because they've been so honest. And so, Sarah, thank you for doing that, and you've done that. Uh, many times before uh, in this community, and uh, it, it, that's one of the things that I think is so important to us to be able to be open enough about what's going on so that as we gather around a text as a community of friends, uh, we're, we're gathering with each other's lives and each other's experiences. We know that none of us come with kind of a, a blank slate to anything that we talk about, and I know through the years it's been an amazing gift for me. We, we have talked about uh, the greatest joys of life while somebody sharing very vulnerably when they lost a child, and we've had people talk about financial needs, right, right, juxtaposed, juxtaposed by somebody getting the job that they've been waiting for years. So, thank you for sharing those stories, and we hope that we will we will hear uh, many more on that. So, um, I hope you're holding on to your card. You're still hopefully writing your answer to the questions. Uh, um, I'll be really curious to hear what the crew in the back comes up with on that. So. Um, so, uh, so keep that near you while we're, while we're talking today. Um, I wanted to craft a little bit of a perspective related to children that I think will help us sit in these words by, uh, by Jesus Christ in terms of uh, uh, being like a child to enter the kingdom of God and his attitude of asking uh, that children not be forbidden to come near him. So I wanted to do a little bit of background on this. One is to talk a little bit about um, the ancient world of children. Um, and I, I've been reading on this this week a lot because I, I, I could think of instances where um, the ancient world was deeply receptive to the presence of children. And I could think very easily about 
horrifically negative examples about how children were, were treated in the Greco-Roman world and in the Jewish world that were the landscapes to the gospel that we read. So perhaps just as a summary statement, uh, you could say this, I think, pretty safely, that the ancient world was ambivalent about children. They were often treated as signs of blessing, and if you read ancient documents, you will find uh, there's not a lot of writing, but in the writing that exists, you will find powerful statements of love uh, crafted by parents about their children. Uh, there are more men writing in that era, but there are, there are statements of deep affection and love for children. Um, there are also some deeply frightening descriptions of how children were disciplined. Uh, absolutely phenomenally stern examples of discipline and the training of children that move well beyond stern to, uh, to abuse. And, and those are freely spoken of. It is a culture and a world where some began to reject certain practices, but um, the killing of children and the exposing of children to great risks was not unknown to the Greco-Roman world. And we know, and certainly on the heels last year of really doing that long two-part body series, one of the things we keep in mind is we always live in a world that's deeply prejudicial about bodies. There are certain bodies that are valued above other bodies. And you can imagine, certainly children in the ancient world, it's safe to say that a lot of their value was considered economic and in the future. So their bodies were not as valuable as, as adult bodies. But we've talked about many, many types of bodies that are, 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 are less valued in society. And the less value your body faces, the more threat that you have. So children faced a great deal of threat. So that gives you just a kind of a nutshell of the ancient world. Let's talk a little bit about the biblical world of, of children. So now we're moving more into the history of uh, the Israelites and their understanding of children and the change and morphing to the presence of Jesus at the beginning of the church. And that's a question that several years ago, I don't know that I can answer, but You'll probably, if, you, if you're the, a person who's read the Bible some, then you'll, you'll probably recognize some examples of your own that back these up. But it's also true in the biblical world that children were treated as a sign of God's blessing. And if you want to kind of refer back, look in the early Gospels with the, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus are two examples of where parents... Uh, waxed very poetically and beautifully and powerfully about children being a sign of God's intervention in the world. But the biblical world is also a mixed bag like the ancient world in regards to children. Uh, the Bible is chock full of interesting stories of reversals. As you well know, uh, there were pretty strict rules about inheritance. And usually an elder son would have had the, the greater inheritance over the rest of the family. But I'm sure you're thinking of, you know, uh, Cain and Abel, Esau and Jacob, uh, uh, brother after brother, where in some way a, a younger brother either lost dramatically or won out. But there were deep reversals in the Bible. And that's a, a theme. And in fact, those reversals in the Bible, where you, you're reading in a very patriarchal, scripted, family, clan-dominated world, and all of a sudden a family that is close to the work of God doesn't do things the way one would say is normal, is actually powerful foreshadowing to when we get to Jesus, but there are lots of reversals. 
Um, the children in Jesus' day and, and, and the, in the Israelite world were tremendously vulnerable and faced significant threats. Um, I remember reading uh, the very first time that, that the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac out to sacrifice him. And to me, that scared the crap out of me. I couldn't believe that was in a Bible when I was reading that as 10 or 11 years old. Uh, but I think the ancient readers would have read that and kind of gone, well, that happens. I mean, these type of significant symbolic events occur. Uh, Moses, Jesus, both faced significant programs where children were killed wholesale uh, over a vast expanse of society. Uh, those things happen, and, and the exposure of kids to violence is mind-boggling at some point in time. There are many instances, I can think of three very quickly, that, um, that Phyllis Tribble in her book Text of Terror writes about. You remember the scene in Sodom, where uh, the people of Sodom have gathered around Lot, and they want to, uh, to abuse the men that have come into the city, and his quick reaction is, I have virgin daughters. Uh, the, the way the story is told, these might be girls of 9, 10, 11 years old that he's suggesting that he might send them out into the men of the city uh, so that he can um, withhold the law of, of hospitality. He feels like he needs to protect his guests. And the breach of hospitality there would be unthinkable, but it wasn't unthinkable in the ancient world to potentially put children at phenomenal risk. So the Bible reports many of the things that we see uh, happening in the world. And perhaps one other area that, that is interesting for us to think about is, I'm sure many of you, some of you may have grown up with this. Uh, uh, how many people kind of grew up in kind of a spare the rod, harsh discipline kind of home where there was lots of strong punishment? So there's, yeah, some of us grew up in, in around that. And one writer said that this was a poisonous pedagogy that in many ways was part of the Greco-Roman world that was copied by the church. And in readings in the scriptures, you find places where that seems to be um, kind of the normal way of doing things. I'm going to read you just a couple of quick uh, snatches from, uh, from the wisdom literature on this. I might need to grab my glasses. <laughs> then I'll read them to you. I pulled a hamstring running today, so sitting on this stool is not the most pleasant thing today. So, but anyway, this is um, listen to these texts. These are scriptural texts: Proverbs, Proverbs, and Proverbs. Folly is bound up in the heart of a boy, but the rod of discipline drives it far away. Those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. My child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And this is from the wisdom of Sirach, which is, if you grew up Catholic, was in your Bible. Um, it was... Uh, deemed a significant reading and is recommended as kind of part of the Christian corpus, though is, is not considered canon by some. Uh, but this will give you some sense of uh, the biblical ancient world and its thoughts regarding the kids. Notice that the, the prejudices here is how kids could embarrass adults and how we avoid that. The focus is not on children. He who loves his son will whip him often. 
in order that he may rejoice at the way he turns out. He who disciplines his son will profit by him and will boast of him among his acquaintances. He who spoils his son will bind up his wounds and his feelings will be troubled at every cry. A horse that is tamed turns out to be stubborn and a son unrestrained turns out to be willful. Pamper a child and he will frighten you. Play with him and he will give you grief. Do not laugh with him lest you have sorrow with him and in the end you will gnash your teeth. Give him no authority in his youth and do not ignore his errors. Bow down his neck in his youth and beat his sides while he is young lest he become stubborn and disobey you and you have the sorrow of soul from him. Now Amber clearly did not read that very well because you were inviting us to like play with kids in the back, right? Um, and so <laughs> Sirach is very displeased with you. Um, but this was a normal, normal attitude toward children. And in many ways, um, people have read the Bible for years in texts like this and, and have had deep misgivings toward learning from, loving, enjoying children. And we've always faced a society where children were in many ways treated as economic assets or status assets or soon-to-be economic or status assets. Now, I don't think people would think that way have looked at the price of college recently, but, but, uh, but nonetheless, these are norms and they have been reinforced strongly in biblical ways. Um, and perhaps right here, we have one of the best examples about reading the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Because the, these texts that we've read, and some of them from, from Proverbs, are beloved texts that people quote often when talking about children. Uh, but if we've said anything in a Emmaus way, we've said that in some ways the, the gospel is about Jesus' coming and fashioning what we say a new social, a new family, a new way of relating. In fact, one of the most misgiving, dangerous, probably got him killed things that Jesus did in coming to this earth was he rearranged the social fabric of the world we live in. He said crazy stuff like, who is my mother and who is my father? It's the one who does the will of God. He rearranged this social world that was deeply constructed around a patriarchal father clan head um, and, and a family that everyone knew their role. And for children, it was to be assets. It was to not bring embarrassment to their parents. And it was to deal with the vulnerability of being young until they could take on ad adult roles. And if anything, this is a powerful example that says, here is a place where we read the gospel and then we read the gospel back into some of these texts like Sirach or, or Proverbs, understanding that those words are normative for the culture that we live in. But Jesus is the one who came with an, a countercultural agenda in forming the kingdom of God and the people of God. So look at the text that you have. I want to just make a couple of quick comments on this. Notice... If you were to read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I just chose Matthew's text, but we could have done any of the others on this, that Jesus stood out remarkably as a friend to children when it was largely forbidden by the rabbis to be as such. Uh, reread the, the entry to Jerusalem again, and in Matthew's gospel, it's interesting, this is in Matthew 21, the children are screaming in delight 
that Jesus has come into the city because one of the things that he has done is he's healed them. There are stories that have circulated, and you could find them easily if you look through the Gospels, where Jesus has healed children. He has stopped doing important things to heal synagogue daughters, synagogue leaders' daughters, and other situations like that. In fact, Mark writes his Gospel in that way to show that Jesus was diverted from an adult agenda, often to care for kids. Interestingly, also, if you'll read Matthew and Mark, um, the, these comments about children come right in the midst of significant arguments by the men over who is the greatest, who has the best jump shot, who has the greatest SAT score, who has the perfect family, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. The minute that argument tends to break out, we find Jesus doing silly things like grabbing children and putting them in the middle of the conversation and saying, you guys, I know this is an interesting conversation for you, but you need to be like this child to enter my kingdom. In other words, the conversation that you're having about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God might need to morph of, do I have any idea how to be part of the kingdom of God? Um, in Matthew's gospel, there's a strong emphasis on the notion of humility. If you've read the, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 that talk about Blessed are the poor, blessed are the broken, blessed are those who mourn and weep. Many times Jesus uses children as examples to reinforce that message. Um, in Luke's gospel, which is often about the poor and people who are marginalized economically or racially in society, Jesus responds to those questions by taking perhaps the most marginalized in this world, children, and putting them in the forefront of the conversation. Now, that is a 100-mile-an-hour summary. Let me ask you a quick question on this. Looking at what, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is rearranging this social world and moving children who would have been in the periphery to the center of his conversation. Let them come to me. Let me heal them. Let me care for them. Let them be part of the family of God. What does that tell us about the gospel, that Jesus did those things? What do we learn about the gospel by those very strange actions? And I know we live in a culture where the idolatry of children is, is something that is entirely different. This is one of the most foreign parts of the Bible to all of us. But what is Jesus telling us about the gospel in this behavior with children? A couple thoughts. conversation in John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. What is gross about that conversation for Nicodemus is the implication that he would embrace being a child or an infant again. Because that is inconceivable in the world. Even though he was a man of faith. Yes, absolutely. What else is Jesus doing? It calls him to focus the need for dependence. Yeah. And that's something we get, right? I mean, we are, I mean, we, we joke about this, that uh, like 
the ultimate male fantasy is to be James Bond, right? You know, you're, you're like in the, the wetsuit and you've got like a gun beside you and you're killing people and you land in the middle of like a black tie party and you unzip the wetsuit and you've got a, a perfectly, you know, black tie suit on and you walk up to the most beautiful woman who seems to have been waiting there for you the whole time, right? I mean, we n- do never want to be dependent. We never want to, we want to be the Dos Equis guy. We want to like never have an awkward moment except when we chose it. And, and dependence is something that we do not want to live. We don't want to live in mutuality. We want for Sarah to deal with infertility, you know, alone in a certain way and report to us because we've got other stuff going on. I mean, there's this sense that if, if we join the wounds of others and join the joys of others, we're reinforcing the stuff that we're not independent Americans. We absolutely need the tears and joys of others. And children demonstrate that in their vulnerability all the time. They cannot survive without adult care. And and sometimes we forget we cannot survive without engaging them lovingly. That's a wonderful point. Anybody else? What is Jesus telling us about this gospel? Yeah, this is in a broad, it's a broader question than that, sure. So, I feel like kids love you because you're there, right? Like, if you hang out with them, you are the most awesome person ever, for no reason other than that you're there. And so they are able to love people in this way that we as adults have trouble with, or I do anyway. And so maybe we are supposed to love others the way they do. Like, I like So, Amber, when you... When you're nannying, you don't tell the kids you're with that you made an 800 on the SAT math, uh, or uh, or uh, you know pull out your resume and say I was a great teacher at uh, at uh, where were you Northern or Riverside Northern. You know you don't pull out your resume and share all the things that that would be really impressive to the kids you're nannying. No, and they tell me I'm the best babysitter ever, and I'm like, why? I don't. What? <laughs> so we live in a performance culture. How many? What's the last party you were at? where it was really more of a resume bump, where everybody's walking around and talking about impressive stuff that they did. Uh, I mean, that tends to be how we relate to each other, and children have no interest in that whatsoever. And so it deprograms, as Ben is saying, this performance competition world that that we want to live in, where we're all kind of putting each other in a, a, a pecking order. And by the way, who was doing that the worst? The disciples. I mean, every time you read the word disciple in the New Testament, you should put it in quotation marks because it's humor. They were not disciples. Uh, and, and, and almost everything they did demonstrated that they were really not disciples, so to speak. And the funny part is the children are the ones who are the disciples, so to speak. One more person. That's fantastic. Yeah, Brandon. So, uh, so yeah, the contrast between the disciples and the children is interesting in Matthew because the same language is used for them both throughout as the least of these. We talk about, with the community organizing piece, we talk about, you know, whatever you do to the least of these, you've got to be. That's the same word that he used for the, uses for the disciples earlier in Matthew, Matthew 11 or 12. And so there's an identification between the disciples and Jesus when he sends them out to the cities. If they welcome them, give them water, give them food, then they welcome Jesus. Same thing here, right? Yeah. You welcome children and take care of them, and you welcome Jesus. So there's a weird triangulation between 
the presence of Jesus, the disciples, and the children, right? Which both, in, in one way, represent Jesus to others, and what you do to those least of these or the little ones represents how you accepted Jesus or not. And yet, you're right, you're, the disciples are, aren't always the best representation of what that should look like, right? So he has to point them back to the children. It's funny, that's a wonderful point. There's something deeply childlike in sending the disciples out to preach when they're not disciples, so they don't have a really good spiel, right? And they don't know what to say, and they're not really good at anything but fishing, and I don't think he put them on boats. And so uh, they are dependent, and he's teaching them how to live dependently. And if, just for interest, if you want to Google some of these texts, look them up and notice what's around them. And the conversations around them are contrasts between the rich young ruler and a blind man who follows Jesus. The, 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 uh, constantly the comparison is the one who is deeply vulnerable has something to share about the kingdom of God. and something that is to be copied. So again, a powerful text. Uh, one other thing, I have a list here and I'm not going to go through it. Um, but, um, but two things I'll say that I think children also remind us is that they teach us to wonder and wonder aloud. I was thinking, Sarah, as you were sharing today, that, and you shared so wonderfully how adults, we, we spill over our words sometimes, and, and even out of care, we don't say anything. But children cut right past that. How many times have I seen a child uh, go up to somebody who's lost a family member and say, um, your mom died, I bet you're really sad. And, and everybody, the, the adults in the room are all like, oh, don't say that. She might not remember. You know, and, and the person who, who receives that child says, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I am really sad. And you felt free enough to share that. Children wonder in a way that we often edit ourselves. They ask amazing questions. Uh, another thing that children do, and I'll end with this, is they reject the notion of ownership. How many people, and, and a lot of, there's a lot of young parents in the room, your strategy of owning your children and having them perform for you, how do you think that's going to work out? <laughs> Luke, what do you think? <laughs> We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> We're sitting Asa down. He's learning some calculus, uh, some job skills. I mean, you got to, you know, it just fails. And this idea that we own the land that we sit on, that we own the places that we have, that we're in control of our lives, is constantly confounded and confronted by the children in our midst. And in fact, this is the root of Emmaus Way saying that we don't even want to live in an ownership model or possession model with children in the sense that we feel the responsibility, whether we have kids or not, to share the raising of our kids together. One of the things that, Amber, you didn't say this, but this is one of the, you're a great testimony to this. A lot of the people who are volunteers don't have children. Uh, some of them are frightened of children. Uh, it, it's, it's men and women. It's, it's this idea that we've said that children are challenging in many, many ways. They teach us things that we need to desperately know, but their very presence confounds this idea that, indeed, I'm totally in control of the world that I live in. Tonight, uh, I, I think Tim is Tim, oh, Tim is going to come lead us in confession and absolution via song. We do this often through music. Uh, I'm really excited about a Neil Young appearance at Emmaus Way. So, Tim, thank you for choosing this song. I, I wanted to say as we head to confession and absolution, just the, the quick realization 
that there's an easy confession for us tonight. It's a fun one. It's to realize that in many ways we resist a childlike response to the presence of God's love. And, and this is an opportunity to remind ourselves that, that it's indeed okay to let go with that. And then, Elizabeth, I think you're going to lead us to the table. Is that, is that correct? Afterwards. So, thank you guys. again and uh, continuing with our Canadian songwriter theme. my life. 
Thank you. So, um, we've just got one more tune that we're going to do for you. And uh, this isn't from a Canadian songwriter, this is from uh, a Californian songwriter, Tom Waits. Um, and really, if, if you have any, any urge to, to sing along, now's the time. And again, thanks very much for having us here. We, uh, we really like playing here. Mr. Casey Toll, Dale Baker, Olivia Davis.
Jesus wants the adults to be good people like kids. <laughs> um, you become like a child when you enter the kingdom of heaven. And when you're a kid, you're not old, so you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> All right? And then this is from the elementary school class. So I wonder. And it says, th- these are the, you know, what was interesting. Jesus, it was interesting that Jesus was interested in what kids see and wants to care for us and share the world. The disciples were showing the kids away, even though they had heard Jesus say that the kids were part of the kingdom of God. And it's funny that Jesus asked adults to be like these guys, these kids. Um, so what did Jesus mean when he said the adults had to become like children? We want to learn more things can teach us more things about him. He's trying to tell us that kids are important just like adults are important to God. You shouldn't just ignore kids and only hang out with adults. He just goes and gets babysitter. <laughs> it is to such as these that the kingdom belongs. God is trying to say that you live there, the kingdom of God. We're not just kids who pester everyone. We are kids who can be nice and generous. So, um, I read in a book, like, like, a couple of weeks ago about a church that took the voices of their children so seriously that when a little one cried out in the room, they stopped whatever they were doing. And they used that cry as a prophetic cue to remember and to pray for people who are vulnerable and people who couldn't take care of themselves. And um, in our community, when we engage in the dialogue and we're, in, we're invited to um, an open, boisterous community table where we talk to one another, smaller. <laughs> <laughs>
God doesn't just care about adults. He cares about kids. Jesus said to, says to us, you are loved by the whole kingdom of God. And this is uh, Mia's picture of Jesus with children. And, you know, I, my prayer is that this is a jumping off point for us. That this is not just a one Sunday conversation that we can continue to try to think about how to listen to the kids' voices, how to be changed by the fact that they are with us. Um, and so, you know, in your conversation at the table, in your conversation throughout the week, like, I hope that this is not an isolated conversation. We can continue to talk about it, and dream about it, be stretched by their voices. Please join us at the table. We remind you uh, always that we practice an open table at Emmaus Way, so everybody's invited to this table. And we break bread and we pour wine or juice for each other, saying the body of Christ broken for you or the blood of Christ uh, poured out for you. So uh, just feel free to join us at the table and uh, break bread and uh, pour wine or juice for the people that are around you. Uh, and again, enjoy each other's presence.